The following podcast is presented by Together Washington. Together Washington, we are seeking to build bridges across divides and tell the inspiring stories of those building the common good. If you'd like to support or get involved with Together Washington, go to togetherwashington.com. As we talked about uh, the weekend, of course, uh, <laughs> it was a tragic weekend on a level that I haven't seen much. In fact, over the last number of months, we are seeing a uptick in shootings and crime and violence that I've never seen. I've lived here just about my whole life. And it is becoming so alarming and so concerning. And it's not just in one neighborhood. A lot of times it was typically centered, say, in downtown. or And we're just seeing it across the city right now. And joining us is former interim mayor of Seattle and former Seattle City Council president and uh, used to be a policeman with Seattle PD. Back in the day is Tim Burgess. Tim, welcome back to the program. Hey, hi, Tim. Thanks. Glad to be here. You know, you posted on Facebook a post that I I won't read all of it, but uh, was a very powerful post talking about it. It got uh, some attention. A lot of people were talking about your post and say, you asked, I wonder when the city council might ask Chief Adrian Diaz or any local or national policing experts what might be done to restore our police service after the unprecedented and staggering departure of some 250 officers in the past 18 months. You, you went on and shared a number of other things that you are wondering about around some of the, the failings that we're seeing, but Perhaps just tell us, I guess, the summary and what caused you to make that post. Well, I think there were two things. One uh, was our experience in Seattle this past weekend where, you know, we had four homicides and then another one on Monday and several individuals wounded in gun violence incidents. And so that, you know, we were all upset and and concerned about that and that it's tragic when people lose their life um, and then the second thing was in fact this uh, unprecedented departure of police officers that we've paid to recruit and train and deploy as taxpayers of our city and they're leaving in droves uh, there has never been a mass departure from the Seattle Police Service like we've seen over the past 18 months. Um, and it's staggering. It, it Almost uh, right around 250, I think Chief Diaz said the other evening that it was approximately 250 officers who have left. Now, there's always departures. There's always attrition. People retire, people decide, ah, this isn't the career for me, whatever reason, people are leaving. And in Seattle, that averages somewhere between 60 and 70 a year. And, you know, this, this level of 250 leaving is just, it's mind boggling. And, and so there's something fundamentally wrong that is driving these officers away. And it's too bad because 
incidents like what we had this weekend and other uh, incidents in the city that require a significant number of police officers, uh, that becomes problematic because, as Chief Diaz says, uh, said the other night, it's hard for the department to staff and deploy uh, correctly today. And that's too bad. And that affects all of us in the city. You said there's something fundamentally wrong. What, what, do, you, what do you think is fundamentally wrong? Well, there's two things, one that we don't have too much control over and one that we have a lot of control over. The first is, you know, we've been under federal review, supervision, whatever you want to call it, under a consent decree uh, for, what, 12 years now. And no matter who that uh, touches or, you know, no one wants to be supervised by an outside party. Uh, let alone the federal Department of Justice or a federal judge. And and while that has been necessary, in my opinion, in Seattle, it does take an, uh, you know, it's it's wearisome and it it creates um, anxiety and it creates uh, disappointment, if you will. I mean, no one wants to be part of an institution that through its behavior and its actions and its rules and procedures has prompted somebody else to say, we're going to have to oversee what you do and supervise you. So that's one factor. I think it's been discouraging to officers and somewhat demoralizing. But the bigger, far bigger factor, I believe, is the rhetoric of our elected officials that is attacking, that's demeaning, that's not supportive of public servants like our police officers, and in many cases is harmful. I have no problem with elected officials being critical. I have no problem with elected officials calling out abuse or bias or improper policing or the lack of effective policing in the city or in specific neighborhoods, no problem at all with that if it's constructive and if it's aimed at solutions. But what we've seen over the last 18 months and even further back than that is political language, in my opinion, more focused and centered on advancing the elected officials standing or reputation with certain elements of the community that's damaging and that's harmful because words matter they matter if they're between friends they matter in our families they matter in our community and they matter when people in authority like elected officials use them against public servants. So So, I think that's, that's driven some of these officers away. We're talking to former Seattle city council president and interim mayor of Seattle, Tim Burgess, Tim, one of the things that when I was reading an article, this was about two weeks ago in the Seattle times. And I was just floored when it mentioned 
and it was just a mention, and I, I, I hope they deep dive into this a little more, but of the, and, I, and I'm not going to get the, the, the exact statistics right, but, it's, but I'm going to ballpark it, of the what, you know, 60, 70 homicides this past year in Seattle, there's only been about, only about 20% of those have there been any arrests made of the suspect, that it to, I mean, I, when I read that, it just absolutely leaped off the paper uh, to think, oh my goodness! Like we we've got dozens and dozens of uh, of quote unquote killers out there, and with with no leads. I mean, what is this unprecedented time? Well, I can't speak to the specifics of the homicide clearance rate in Seattle because I've I've not looked at that recently. But the point you're making is, I believe, that one measure of the effectiveness of a police service is their successful resolution of cases, whether it's homicides or assaults or car theft or whatever it happens to be. And as a general rule in the United States, our crime clearance rates tend to be lower than some of our Western European peer countries and Canada. And I think that's a topic that needs to be discussed and reviewed much more thoroughly. Now, homicide typically has a high clearance rate because most homicides occur between people who know each other or have some relationship. You know, stranger-on-stranger homicides uh, are rare. I mean, we see them in mass shootings and those types of things, but as, as a general rule, homicides among strangers are not that common. I, sus- I don't know this, but I suspect that the homicides we saw over the weekend were highly likely between individuals who knew each other or had an association of some kind uh, with each other. Now, that remains to be seen. But um, the point is that we should care about crime clearance rate, and we should hold our police service accountable for how well a job they're doing for us. That's critically important. And that's particularly important in neighborhoods that have high rates of crime victimization. For example, in the black community in Seattle and most every other city, they are victims of crime way disproportionately to their percentage of the population. And they care about these things. And so when people see that the police are not solving crimes, that's interpreted as ineffectiveness, not caring, uh, not committed to my neighborhood or my block or whatever. So crime clearance rates are important as are response times, which of course in Seattle are uh, degrading because we don't have a sufficient number of patrol officers on the street at any particular given time. And how many officers do we have on SPD right now? Do you know? 
it, it's around almost 1,400 positions are authorized and funded. But at any given time, we don't have that many police officers to deploy because, you know, some of them are on leave. Some of them uh, are in training still. They're, they're rookies and uh, going through their training and such. So I think the number of police officers that are available for service, uh, and it's been some time since I looked at this figure, but it's in the low 1,200 range somewhere. Okay. So we've lost about 10% in the last year or so of our, of our force. Um, while at the same time, Seattle is still one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. So we're not only are we growing the fastest of any city, but we're probably losing our police force. I would have, I would venture to guess at a, one of the fastest rates as well of any major city. I don't, of course, I'm just speculating, but that that's a high rate of loss. I mean, that, we're, we have two things going in the wrong direction here. It, it is a high rate, and it's it's closer to 20%, not 10%. Um, so we've, again, that's why I say that the, the loss of these officers is unprecedented. It's staggering, and it's harmful to the public safety of our city. Um, you, you want to be able to deploy in any city a police service that is adequate in size, adequate in practice and training and what they do, and is viewed in the community as legitimate, respected, appreciated. That, that's one of the core issues in the relationship between the police and the African-American community, suspicion and a view that they are not acting legitimacy is really high in that community, and understandably so. When you look at the history of policing in America and some of the incidents uh, that have occurred here in our city and, and elsewhere in our country. So when you understaff a police department, either because you don't hire enough people or they all start leaving, like we're seeing in Seattle, you are just compounding the problem of being able to effectively bridge the divide that exists between the police and uh, various elements of the public. And that's unfortunate. It's really, it, it just, it, it's just error upon error that's contributing to the problems that we see in the city and the relationships between uh, especially the black community uh, but also our Native American community and, to a certain extent, the Hispanic community. I am just thrilled to have former Seattle City Council President and Interim Mayor Tim Burgess helping us make sense of what we're seeing in Seattle right now with the unprecedented uptick of crime and violence you know, I, I live in the, Tim, in the Lake City neighborhood. There have been, and I sat down with some of Lake City leaders last week, and they reached out and they said, okay, hey, we feel like we are not, no one is listening to us. We don't know where to go, where to turn. They asked if I could help. They, Lake City has seen, I think, like 19 shootings in the last two weeks, which is, which is crazy. What can... What can we do as citizens to 
help bring positive solutions. Is there anything we can do? Well, it's very important for citizens to express their desires and opinions to public officials. So I would definitely do that for sure. And I know sometimes it feels like they're not listening, but it is uh, very important uh, that that information just keep flowing from the people of the city. Second thing I'd say is elections really matter. Uh, We've seen that nationally, and we see it here in Seattle. The people we elect to represent us and make the big decisions about where our city's headed and what our vision is for the future Uh, that's important. And so make sure you vote. But the other thing we can do is we can insist that our police follow the science of policing. We, we, we know how to solve these problems. Now it, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not easy. It's complicated. It involves multiple factors. I know that, but most serious crime is committed by relatively few people in a particular jurisdiction. And crime is concentrated at specific geographic places. That's been confirmed not only in Seattle in two major studies done by academics, but in cities around the world. Uh, Crime is concentrated and it tends to be anchored there But there are specific things you can do to solve that crime problem. The studies in Seattle showed that a full half of all reported crime in Seattle, and that includes misdemeanors, low-level crimes, and felonies, half occurred on just 5% of the city's blocks. Now, you think about that for a minute. The city's got over 23,000 blocks. We all know what a block is, you know, between intersections, that kind of thing. Half of our crime occurs on just 5% of those blocks. Sometimes it's even more concentrated than that. It might be a specific address, might be a specific house or building, or it's just this intersection or this block or whatever. So when you know that, then police can work with the community, what I refer to as the natural guardians who work in those places, like residents, like shop owners, like people who work there, people who play and go out to dinner there. Those, you, you, you gather those folks and you talk to them and see what they want. And I guarantee you, any neighborhood in Seattle where you would have that conversation, no one would say, we like this. We like to have this crime in our community. They would all say just the opposite. But they would say, focus on the most serious crime, not necessarily the jaywalking or the whatever, minor, minor matters. See, I, so crime you is know, I agree. It's, crime is concentrated. Gonna... It's, it's focused on, it's committed by just a relatively few number of people, which means then, that those individuals should be identified, the people who are causing the most harm. So we're talking about crimes of violence and 
crimes committed against our most vulnerable members of the community, the elder, elderly, children, the homeless, immigrants and refugees, uh, those with maybe not the strongest voice in our community, violent crime, crime committed against the most vulnerable, focus on that. That's going to build police legitimacy. That is going to satisfy uh, people in the city, and it's going to build trust and confidence. See, I, I, I totally agree with you that most people, I mean, pretty much probably 99.9% are going to say, I do not want this in my neighborhood at all. I mean, I think it obviously it hurts people. People get hurt. It, it, it produces so much angst for folks, a lot of trauma. Yet, there's what is it about the folks that recently we've been electing who you would just, I mean, I hate to say just kind of quote unquote soft on crime, but I mean, we have, um, you know, many of our city council members, and I hate to just kind of go this direction here, but I do want to mention it. Um, you know, took a selfie last summer up on chop right now. I know chop meant some things, but chop also became a place of incredible pain for a lot of people because three people died in chop. Um, and that's where this kind of defund the police movement really kind of took off in earnest. So it, it seems like it, there's things that aren't making sense in my brain about how we here as Seattleites, we, we don't dis, we don't want there to be these kind of things happening in our neighborhood yet. We kind of put up with it. Well, I'm not sure I agree, Tim. I would not accuse elected officials of of being soft on crime. I would accuse them of maybe not knowing what they're talking about or not taking the time to understand the implication of their words or their philosophy of policing or criminal justice. I mean, one of the reasons that Carmen Best left was because she felt that the city council was not listening to her, was not seeking her counsel, and was not being deliberative in their approach to defund the police. And remember, a, a, a supermajority of the city council last summer said we should cut the police department in half. And, you know, I think all but a couple of them have backed away from that now. But um, I just think they they don't understand the importance of public safety and what it means to people, to shop owners, to workers, to kids. I thought of another reason why the shrinking of the police department is negative, and that is that policing is most effective if police officers have time to do what's called proactive policing. And by that, I mean getting out of their cars, talking to shop owners, getting to know people, engaging citizens on the street and just chatting with them. Um, And it's amazing what one can learn in those relationships. And as the police force shrinks in size, it forces the remaining officers to spend their time responding only to emergencies, to the most urgent 911 calls, 
And so we're stripping away one of the key ingredients of effective policing, which is officer relationships with the people in their seat. Uh, so I just, I just wish our elected officials in our city would step back, consult with the experts locally and nationally, and think carefully about how we reform policing, and we need some reforms. There's no doubt about that but also how we keep our city safe and and how we honor and respect those police officers who are doing a good job every day. Yeah, well said. Well said. You know, you mentioned, and last thing I'll ask you here, Tim, is you mentioned August 3rd, the primary, and and I know you've got a, you've got a newsletter that typically you'll you'll send out to folks and it kind of gives some of your thoughts and recommendations and usually do that for the, for the general election. And I don't know if you did that uh, for the primary coming up, but if folks want it, and I would imagine some listeners would probably want to, um, you know, hear more from you or sign up for your newsletter. One, how can they do that? And two, are there any insights that you could give to folks as we come up on the primary here next week? Uh, you're right. I, I will send out my recommendation. I get asked all the time for recommendations on who to vote for. So I, I, I'll do that probably right after Labor Day uh, for the general election. And and if you want to receive my newsletter, you can go to just timburgess.com. And there's a button there on the right side to sign up for the newsletter uh, at timburgess.com. All right, Tim, it is always great having you on and it is incredible to just get your your thoughts and your wisdom and really appreciate you taking the time to join us well thanks a lot for having me tim you're doing a great job and <laughs> you might regret giving me a soapbox again but these these issues are so important uh, to our no. city and to our region it's it's really important absolutely and i appreciate you sharing this and and continuing even in your quote unquote retirement. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> to, <laughs> to continuing to Jolene, keep, Jolene keeps reminding me and she said, Tim, aren't you retired? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, we, we desire and need your voice and your service. So thank you for continuing to uh, serve the city of Seattle. We appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. Talk to All you right. later. All right. Take care. That was Tim Burgess, former Seattle City Council president and interim mayor, and some real insights on what we're seeing here with this uptick in crime and violence. 